Thanks to Slack for supporting Motley Fool Answers. Slack is a messaging app which brings together all your team's communications in one place, making work simpler and more productive. Go to slack.com to learn more. Also, thanks to 23andMe. 23andMe's Health Plus Ancestry Kit is a personalized tool for understanding how your genes may influence your health. Start the year by learning more about your DNA. Go to 23andMe.com fool to get $30 off each Health Plus Ancestry Kit, now through January 31st. This is Motley Fool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, and I'm joined, as always, by Robert Brokamp, personal finance expert here at The Motley Fool. So nice to see you again, Allison. In today's episode, we're going to talk about how being healthier is connected to being wealthier, and what finally worked for us to get fitterer. Except for Rick, because he's a tough nut to crack. We'll also talk about how most individual investors miss the boat on this bull market, and how financial advisors are incentivized to put their needs before their clients. Mm. All that and more on this week's episode of Motley Fool Answers. Bro, what have you been reading this week? Well, as we all know, on January 4th, the Dow passed 25,000 for the first time ever. So there are a lot of articles celebrating that fact. But then came a slew of articles that pointed out that a lot of people actually missed the boat because it turns out that stock ownership in this company in this country is awfully concentrated. And the, the sources of this size of the articles were all over the place, but really they relied on a couple of things. Um, a relatively new paper from an NYU economics professor named Edward Wolf, as well as this 80-slide PowerPoint presentation from Deutsche Bank. So just Google either of those and you'll find some of these articles. So four themes came out of it, and you can pick a lot of stuff out of this, but I, I chose four. One is, again, stock ownership is really concentrated. So the top 10% of American households, as defined by total wealth, own 84% of the stocks, wow. and that's as of 2016. So it does include last year's good run-up. That figure was just, not a low number, but was just 77% in 2001. So it is getting more concentrated. So if you look at just the top 1%, they own 40% of all the stocks. 25% of households own more than $25,000 in stocks, which means 75% own less than $25,000. In fact, 30% of households have a net worth of zero or a negative number. Mm -hmm. And that is a record mm -hmm. high, at least as far as the stats go back. Oh, yeah. I saw a survey today that said something like 68% of Americans think that they will never get out of debt. Yes. Yeah. It's very, it's very dispiriting. Yeah. And when you look at just the top 0.1%, they have the same net worth as the bottom 90%. And if you look at that, as a, on a chart that goes back to really the beginning of the 19th of the 20th century, for most of that time, the top 0.1 percent and the bottom 90 percent either had about the same net worths, or the bottom 90 percent was doing much better. It's only in the last 10 years or so that the top 0.1 percent has really had so much more wealth relative to the rest of the country. Um, so number two, the key theme is really why is that? What's happened yeah. over the last decade? And in a little further back, and that was stock market crash of the dot-com crash of 2000, 2002, stock market crash of 2007, and then the housing bust. All of that significantly affected the majority of the population much more than the wealthiest Americans. Why is that? Well, number one, it gets to the third theme, and that is for the average American, most of their net worth is tied into their house. So when the housing crash came, that really affected 
the average person, compared to wealthier households who have less than 10% of their net worth tied into their primary home. Um, and the other reason is that the average American has not been saving a lot, so they didn't have enough of an economic cushion to uh, cover emergency expenses if something happened during the recession, if they lost their job. If they didn't have that economic cushion, what did they have to do? They had to raid their 401k, or they had to sell their house. Uh, and then the other part of that, too, was that um, middle-income folks were more likely to sell when the stock market went down and took longer time to get back into the market as it was rebounding. Which makes so much sense. I mean, if your savings gets decimated, right. you're going to have to resort to selling, and you're also probably going to be burned very badly and twice as shy to get back into the market. Right. And, and what does every financial planner tell you to do? To build up your emergency fund before you invest in stocks. If you've already drained your emergency fund, that's what you're focusing on, just getting back on your feet, not trying to get back into the market as it hopefully recovers. And, I, and you know, everyone looks back at every recovery and thinks, like, well, of course the market's going to recover. But when you look back to how you felt during that time, you didn't know when it was going to happen. Yeah. So, And then the fourth thing that I, that I sort of pulled from all this is that the inequality isn't equal among the races or the ages. So when you look at ethnicity, uh, the average white household is doing much better than the average black household or Latino household. So, for example, one article um, that I read from CityLab.com found that looked at Boston, which has the highest inequality of most major U.S. cities, found that the average net worth of a white household is two hundred and forty-seven thousand five hundred. Average net worth of a black household eight dollars. Oh, wow! And it gets back to again: if you don't have those resources, it's very tough to weather a downturn. It takes you a lot more time to get back on top. And it's the same when you look at um, Hispanic households as well. Even if you if you sort of equal out many of the factors that are correlated wealth, like college education. A college-educated white household is still going to have a higher net worth on average than a college-educated black or Hispanic household. So those are just some of the things I pointed out. What are the takeaways I think that people should consider? Well, first of all, one thing is you've got to convert your human capital into investment capital, meaning you've got to do your best to save money while you're making it, put it in your portfolio and build up that emergency fund. Human capital, which is basically your salary, historically grows at about inflation, or if you're in a, uh, a profession, maybe one to two percentage points above inflation. So you're talking three to five percent a year. Stock market grows on average ten percent a year. The more you can get your human capital into investment capital, you're going to do be better off. Number two, create your own financial fortress. So we talked about you've got to have some liquid assets, cash, maybe bonds, especially if you're getting close to retirement. But the other issue that where many households got in trouble over the last 10 years was they took on too much debt, took on too much credit card debt, school debt, but also housing debt. So when the housing market crashed, they went underwater, and if they had to sell their house, they were in a lot of trouble. So you got to create your own financial fortress. Number three, don't get scared out of stocks and buy more when they're down. Right. So if you have some sort of an economic cushion, when the stock market goes down, you have that extra money that you can put in to buy more stocks. And that's one of the things that has benefited wealthier households. They had money to buy stocks when they were down. Other households didn't. So you've got to create that, what we often call around here, dry powder. Something on the side ready to buy when the stock market goes down. And then the fourth one is help those behind the starting line. Um, 
the fact of the matter is there's no question that kids from with wealthier parents start further ahead, right? They're more likely to get help with buying a car, buying a house, more likely to inherit money, more likely to graduate college with no student loans. So there are lots of proposals. Well, how can you help kids that are not starting out so ahead? One controversial one that I read about was basically called baby bonds, where every kid who is born gets a certain amount of money, a bond, that matures when they turn age 18. And it's correlated, it's adjusted for your wealth. So the wealthiest American, kids from the wealthiest families, their bond will be worth $500. The poorest households, those kids will be worth, they'll get a bond worth $50,000. Wow. The typical middle income kid will get about $20,000. They don't get it till they're 18, and they have to use it on what they're calling wealth-enhancing endeavors, like buying a house, buying a business, something like that. Very controversial, but it has showed up a couple of times uh, uh, in different articles. And I just think the bottom line is, it's going to be an issue. right? The whole reason Deutsche Bank had this presentation was because it's a risk to people's portfolios as well as to sort of societal stability when you don't have, when, when situation is so unequal. And I'll just close here with a quote from Ray Dalio, who is one of the wealthiest Americans, uh, runs one of the most successful hedge funds. We talked about him in a previous episode about one of the greatest of investors of all time. Uh, and he said, the greatest issue of our time is the disparity of wealth and the problems that exist for the lower 40% of the population. If you carve those folks out, no lo- not only has there been no income growth, but death rates are rising because of opiate use, um, suicide, and because they're losing jobs. This is the biggest issue of our time, the biggest economic issue, the biggest political issue, and the biggest social issue. So I don't know if baby bonds is the solution, but the fact is we're all in this together mm-hmm. and something will have to change. Yeah. Well, bro, I have been reading what I have read many times in the past, uh, and that is the writings of Jason Zweig over at the Wall Street Journal. Him and reporter Anna Turgeson went and they interviewed dozens of former employers from the three largest discount brokers by assets. So Fidelity, Schwab, TD. And they asked them about how, not necessarily how they are incentivized through commissions, but other ways that they are perhaps incentivized to put product, financial products in front of uh, their clients that maybe are not the best for them, that maybe charge higher fees. Uh, and so, for example, Fidelity representatives are paid 0.04% of the assets clients invest in most types of mutual funds or exchange-traded funds, but they earn twice as much, so point more than twice as much, 0. 0.10, on choices that generate higher annual fees for Fidelity. Oh, so, really? managed accounts, annuities, and referrals to independent financial advisors. So, a quote in here is from a guy who used to work at Fidelity. He said, clients here, the representatives don't work on commissions, and they think that, and they think that means a rep doesn't work on incentives. That is fast. I think that by far the average person who calls up Fidelity or any of these other discount brokers, they're thinking they're getting pretty objective advice. Yeah. So the Wall Street Journal looked at, again, Fidelity's achiever bonus. I just pulled this example out of the article. And it could add up to ninety-two, more than $92,000 a year. Wow. Um, the bonuses that they can get. And so uh, it was a pretty long article, and I like to, of course, scroll on down to the comments section. <laughs> and once you get past the comments that blame Trump or Obama, um, <laughs> the comments kind of fell into two different camps. Um, one camp was the, well, duh, 
kind of like, yeah, this is this is how they make money. This is Wall Street. Wall Street's evil. Or it was like, well, duh, what do you expect? Fidelity is not a charity. They have to make money somehow and incentivize people. Uh, and but there were quite a few people who were like, this is not. This was not my experience. And my biggest question, I guess, coming away from it is, how would you know? Right. Because if some if something can be gamed, it will be gamed. And incentives are there for a reason <laughs> to yes. get people to do a specific action. But like, how? I'm asking you now. Sorry, I'm dumping this on you. How how are you able to even know? That's a really good question. I mean, of course, you can ask, but you don't know if you're getting the right answer. You would think that some of this is disclosed in some um, something that you signed when you became a customer, um, but whether there's specifics there, I I doubt it. Um, you know, the the bottom line of what this demonstrates too is these are all ex employees, right? Yeah. So whether it's there or or sites like Glassdoor, or other places, people talk, mm-hmm. and if you do enough digging, you'll find out somewhere the incentives behind the stuff. But it's not going to be right there up front. You're going to have to do the research. Yeah. Well, that's just it. So like uh, we've talked about in the past a fair amount on how to find a financial advisor. But uh, for those who are maybe new to the show. What is your best takeaway for people when they're hiring a financial advisor to make sure they're getting one that is putting their interests first? Well, so we talk about frequently someone who is truly fee only, which means that they are, um, you are just paying for the advice. You might be paying for assets under management, but it's very clear and upfront, and someone who is a fiduciary. So they are legally obligated to put your interests first. So that, that, that to me is the number one advice. I think you can still get good advice from a company like Fidelity, um, but you just might have to do a little digging to find out exactly where the incentives are. Anyway, uh, fascinating article. It's at the Wall Street Journal. Uh, again, it's Jason Zweig and the reporter, uh, Ann Turgeson, if you would like to go read it and um, enjoy the comments, because people get snarky. <laughs> Pop some popcorn. <laughs> this episode of Motley Fool Answers is brought to you by 23andMe. 23andMe's Health Plus Ancestry Kit is a personalized tool for understanding how your genes could influence your health. You send in just a small saliva sample and you'll receive more than 75 online reports on topics like lactose intolerance, genetic weight, and how your genes may impact your risk for certain diseases. Start the year by learning more about your DNA. Go to 23andMe.com fool to get $30 off each Health Plus Ancestry Kit now through January 31st. Also, thanks to Slack for supporting Motley Fool Answers. Slack is a messaging app which brings all your team's communication together, giving everyone a shared workspace where conversations are organized and accessible. Slack allows you to organize your team with real-time messaging, video or voice calls, group file sharing, and searchable archives on one easy-to-use app. Drag-and-drop file sharing works with all the apps you already use, like Jira, Salesforce, Zendesk, and Google+. And you can tailor Slack to your work with more than 1,000 apps. Slack, where work happens. Find out why at slack.com. That's slack.com. Much like the years that came before, getting healthier and exercising more were the most popular New Year's Eve resolutions. And each of us here in this room has resolved at one point or another to get healthier. Sometimes we failed, but sometimes it really stuck. So today, Sam Whiteside, Chief Wellness Fool here at The Motley Fool, is going to join us and we're all going to share what finally worked for us to get healthier. Except 
again, except Rick. In all of our planning meetings, we were like, <laughs> yay, this finally worked for me. And then Rick was like, no. Nothing I think is that's ever- not true. He's yeah. got some things. We've found it. I think. It's just harder to he'd, do. He might not be reluctant convinced. to share. I'm or- with the people. I'm with the people. The people who listen to these shows and say, oh, sure, they got their act together. Yeah. It never works for me, though. Well, we'll see. We'll see. We're going to try and get you. Between our stories and Sam's advice, maybe we'll make something stick. After all, it is your birthday today. It is his birthday. Happy birthday! Yeah. Woohoo! And at times like these, as one as one gets older, they begin to think of, oh, geez, what oh, geez? I don't remember being this hungover the last time I had a few beers with the mates. <laughs> just hypothetically <laughs> just speaking. Hypoth- just like I don't know why I specifically went there. Um, because that's certainly not why you are uh, looking like a sad human being <laughs> little, behind the glass loogie. today. A little loogie, as Allison would say. Logie. Uh, the logie? Oh, that's it. Loogie's a, a different thing. <laughs> so, Sam, you uh, have joined us for many episodes in the past, and yes. uh, I want to thank you because we are firm belie- believers that being healthier also translates into being wealthier. Bro, make the case. Well, I've written and talked about this many times. First of all, it is scientifically proven. There's no question that healthier people are more inclined or at least have a higher level of wealth. Tons of reasons. I'm just going to highlight two of them. First of all, healthier people obviously need less medical care. Medical care can be a huge expense. Not only is it expensive today, but the cost of medical care goes up at a rate faster than inflation each and every year. So there's no question the less you need to go to doctors, buy prosthetics, <laughs> buy aspirin, <laughs> Rick, whatever else you need, the more money you're going to save. But also, there's plenty of evidence that shows that healthier people are more productive. They're less likely to miss work. They're more likely to be cognitively functioning while they're at work. So being more productive is unquestionably a good thing for your bottom line. So those are two reasons why getting healthier is actually good for your bottom line. All right. So now and we're your gonna- waistline? And your waistline your as well. Well, <laughs> And I'll have another example when we get to my story. Oh, okay. Uh, so who wants to start? Sam, should we start with you? Yeah. So you are, again, the chief wellness officer here at The Fool, or chief wellness fool. Uh, whatever all, you want to We all it. make up our own titles here, so it can be whatever we want. Um, and you came to The Fool four, four years ago? Five years Over ago? Over about four and a half years four ago. Four and a half years yeah, ago. It's been a good while. And it is your full-time job, full-time job to do a million different things to keep us fools healthy. Absolutely. But uh, you have your own health journey to share with us here, too, about what, sure. what worked for you. Yes. So for me personally, um, I have a lot of chronic disease, specifically in my mom's side of my family. Um, and I know that we've mentioned this in a podcast, I believe, last year. Um, but, you know, breast cancer, obesity, diabetes, heart disease, you name it, it's there. Um, And so when I was around 15 to 16 years old, I was at a family reunion and I was like, this, I was just looking around and I was like, this is not what I want to become, but this is what could be my future if I don't start taking actions now. Um, And so knowing that um, I am predisposed to already so many different um, conditions has been my bottom motivator. Um, it is always in the back of my mind. Um, and in addition to that, I would say um, anxiety, depression, um, those also can run um, heavily in certain people's families, and it does in mine as well. And so when I don't exercise, when I don't move, I can feel it, not only in my body, but my brain drastically feels it. So those two things alone um, definitely keep me motivated, no matter what time of the year it is. Right now, it's cold. Mm, it's it's so cold hard. as I'll get out. Yeah. Um, it's a little warmer today, but um, it is it is cold. And 
it's it's not a it's not really getting people to the gym and getting people moving. Um, so right now I'm I'm working out in our gym here at HQ in our building with some fools, and they're helping keep me motivated. I'm helping keep them motivated because the last thing I want to do is drive over to the gym, work out with a bunch of people. Um, you know. Gyms right now are insanely packed, um, as they should be, and I'm welcoming all people. Um, but it's kind of hard to work around a bunch of people, not enough equipment. There's just a lot going on. Um, and then, you know, you're sweaty, get in a cold car, drive home. Like, there's just, there's a lot of, right. there's a lot of restraints and, and um, there's a lot of barriers. So if I can work out here at the gym uh, right after I finish teaching class, um, then I'm going to do that. So, yeah, and you do actually a lot. Of, I imagine like, you name it, Sam has tried it. And one thing I know That's you don't true. like is running. I don't like running, but I, I I try and I try and every year I try and try and find that like break that love hate relationship, and I haven't been able to do that. Yeah. We ran um, a five k together in we the summer. We did. Um, that was a lot of fun. That yeah. was the the Pride five k, right? Yep, yep, yep. Um, and so yeah, I can I can go out and do a five k. I can go out and do a ten k. It's gonna be really painful the next day. Um, but I can do it and it's just it's something that I need to get better about. I used to do triathlons. The running part was the worst part. Really? I hated yeah. it. I wouldn't I wouldn't I specifically wouldn't really train that much for the run part. I would do amazing in the swim. Like Pat, I would usually I would maintain like really top position in a swim. Uh, the bike I would hold my own, and then I would lose all of my time in the run. And I, every time I did this, and every like I probably competed in maybe fifteen triathlons or so. Wow. Um, but you know, sprint and Olympic distances, so the the shorter ones. But um, yeah, I've, yeah. I well, still and that like that just for me that just means it doesn't work really for right, me. Right. Right. And it's totally different for everyone. So you got to so go out there and kiss you've a lot got, of frogs. You do. You've got to try and find what fits for you. And if you enjoy it, then you're going to keep doing it. Yeah. But you highlight two other things. First of all, the, the social aspect. Right? Absolutely. Other people know, especially given your job, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know you have to be <laughs> in reasonably good shape. And people do expect you to show up. And I think that's a right. big part of it, social accountability. But also convenience. Like, we have an office where you can do it. Yeah. But Absolutely. there's we, lots of stuff you can do no matter where you are. Oh, for sure. I mean, we're very, very lucky. We can wear workout clothes every day. Yeah. Wear and the some, Sam, and some the of Sam wardrobe. Do. I sure do. Uh, yeah. You can you can wear sweaty clothes in the office because you just hit the gym or you just, you know, we're outside for a bike or a run and no one, no one will say yeah. anything. Yeah. Not a lot of offices are like that. Um, we do have an on-site gym. We have a lot of subsidies that a lot of companies don't have, race subsidies. We have gym sub- subsidies, a reimburse for lots of different things. A lot of companies don't have that. We have myself on, you know, on-site, um, and I'm also available to all of our remote employees as well. Um, but it just makes the case that you have to fight for yourself. You have to find something you enjoy, and you don't – and just stop giving yourself excuses. Yeah. It's, it's not going to get any easier tomorrow if you start tomorrow. Just go ahead and start today. I also, especially on my dad's side, a lot of incidents of uh, obesity, uh, heart disease, and strokes. So that was that was something that scared me. But really, the thing that really got me, and this is about five years ago, that I knew I had to change the way I was, and that was I had gained so much weight I was going to have to buy a whole new wardrobe. And that's where the money thing came in. <laughs> I was like, there's no way. There I it am, is. I am replacing <laughs> all my pants. So I've got to lose weight. So I, I think, I don't know, lost something like 25 pounds at some point to do that, just so I didn't have to buy more pants. But I do keep a, a folder in my Evernote of all the reasons why you need to exercise. And a lot of them are what Sam said, too, the anxiety, um, 
handling anxiety, just feeling better, um, cognitive functioning. I am definitely afraid of getting Alzheimer's, and there's definitely evidence that um, exercise can delay that to a certain degree. Absolutely. So that I, runs in my family, too. Yeah. I didn't mention that, but yeah, it's scary. I mean, I need, I need an army of information because it is hard, especially after you've worked all day, to make yourself do some of the things that you do. Um, but for me, the exercises that I have chosen to do could be pretty much done anywhere. I do have the social accountability in that I have this, <laughs> this very small little group. Often it's just Paul. Hey, Paul, I know Paul listens to the, the podcast. <laughs> sometimes Meredith, sometimes Natasha, that we get together in the afternoon and do a beach body workout. Those which are, sounds adorable. Which, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I'm an awesome. crew. But I imagine it like I immediately imagine like one of those sixties like beach. I wear my I wear my bikini. I wear my bikini. We throw like around the ball. And singing about summer love. <laughs> you and Paul Anka or I forget. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's not it, but that sounds quite fun. And when we had Zumba here at the office, that, man, I took advantage of that. Yeah, yeah you had some moves. I did. <laughs> uh, but anyways, it's just watching these videos where you do some, it's basically a lot of like push-ups and sit-ups and squats and things like that. You don't need a gym. I haven't been in the fool's gym in a long time. because It looks the same. It looks the same. Because <laughs> it's stuff you can just do as long as you have space. Um, and that's really what has, what has kept me kept caused me to lose that weight and helped me to keep it off. That said, I'm going to try to step it up a notch this year. Ooh. We'll see what happens. Wait, how are you stepping it up a notch? Yeah, I, are we putting another $200 on this? Oh! Okay, so I said it. <laughs> okay, so this gets back to when what I What is going on? When I originally lost weight, yeah. I had money on the line. Yeah. So I had to work out 3 times a week or owe money. And then if I didn't reach a certain weight goal, weight goal after I was like three or four months, I owed like a couple hundred dollars. And then as we may remember a year ago, I bet you all that I could yeah. lose weight over the holidays. It was 10 pounds. Yes. And you lost 10 pounds exactly. Exactly. Wow. And then I gained like five of them back with eggnog. But <laughs> the but, eggnog diet is bro not heart eggnog. But, yeah. but yeah, so I want to get back to where, I mean, I want to get a lose a, another 15 to 20 pounds by really? summer. Uh, so anyways, so I like the idea of a bet. All yeah. right. So now that's the that $200 works, worked last that, year. That works for me. That yeah. works for me. All right. So we'll have to work out the details. Okay. Details we can work coming out the details. soon. Yeah. All, right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the big thing for me that got me to start at, uh, like exercising regularly is uh, I had a kid, and that kid, as much as I loved her to death, was exhausting and kind of annoying, and <laughs> <laughs> and I really, really needed time to get away. So I was either at work or with my kid, and I had zero alone time, which. I'm not. I'm a bit of an extrovert, so it's not the end of the world. But there's enough of an introvert with me that in me that if I don't have alone time, I just start shutting down. So, one day I put on some running shoes and I thought, all right, I can do this. It was cheap. All you needed was shoes. I happened to have them from Full Fitness as well, uh, and I just ran. And then I would put the kid down for a nap, and I would go run. And then I'd look at my watch, and I'd say, "Oh, I think she's up from her nap." And then I would just keep running <laughs> <laughs> away from the house. And then it's so. And then Ron would be texting me and being like, "Where are you? What are you doing?" I'm like, "I'm still running." Yeah, long run day. Sorry. <laughs> and my 
good luck. <laughs> my knees would hurt and my ankle, my feet would hurt. And I would just be like, oh, no, I just got to go. We're totally fixing that, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. With no, foam we're, doing rolling. we're doing better. On yeah. Um, <laughs> and so that's how I started running. And it was a, it was an exercise I could do that was cheap because all you needed was a pair of running shoes to do it. Um, I could do it quickly. Like I could just walk out of the house and I'm doing it. I didn't have to drive anywhere. Uh, it got me out of the house and not feeling guilty about not either being at work or being with my child and being a good mother. I could just run and mm-hmm. I would just listen to a podcast or listen to music. And so that's the thing that stuck with me. My biggest problem, though, is that the more I run, the more I then consume when I am done <laughs> running. <laughs> so it all kind of stays level. <laughs> well, I'll be like, oh, I'm really exercising. And then I will eat all the food in the house. And that so that's a problem I yeah. got to figure out. We can talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, those long runs, yeah. I mean, it's jacking up your metabolism. You're burning a, an insane amount of calories, to, depending on how long you're out there and how hard you're working. Um, so you're going to be hungry. So yeah. you should eat post-run. But maybe be more conscious about the choices. So <laughs> eating all the macaroni and cheese is maybe not maybe, maybe not. not what I need to do. But I I can imagine our listeners are like, oh, that's such a stupid story. Like you just ran. Like, come on, like that's so lame. But it really is what worked for me. Right. And it's the one thing that has stuck. I mean, I still come to full fitness. I get on spurts where I go to full right. fitness and stuff, but running has been the one consistent thing that I've been able to keep doing just because it is so easy, so cheap efficient yeah. like it's really efficient it's, it's mindless you when you walk yeah. into a gym sometimes we can get extremely overwhelmed like yeah. oh god there's you know there's a hundred pieces of equipment in here there's people like how many numbers and sets and reps and weights and oh god like yeah. formats and like running you just hop on a treadmill or you just go outside mm-hmm. um and as much as i hate running okay. <laughs> it's okay though it's, um i do do treadmill work um, and i'll get outside and i'll walk and i love hiking hiking is like I call it my tree hab. Like it is my like safe place where like everything is just turned off, all my barriers are down, and I just hike, and it brings me and grounds me. Yeah. Um. I'm, I haven't re- reached your level of the running yet. Well, it, I have a lot of other motivators. I mean, and also the guilt. The guilt aspect helps too. Like for some, for whatever reason, I don't feel guilty when I ignore all of my other things asking for my attention when I'm running, I don't feel guilty. Nor should you. I mean, that's that's your you time. And if anything, um, coming into 2018 and, and experiencing some things that I experienced in 2017, um, we need to be vigorous about our own well-being. We need, to, we need to be vigilant about taking care of ourselves. So for you, Allison, that's what got you running. But mm-hmm. are you now so habituated to it that you can't stop. I mean, if you don't run for like a week or two, do you feel bad? Yeah, I do. I do feel bad. So um, I did take a quick, I did like a half marathon last last year. And then I took kind of a bit of a break where I've only been running once a week as opposed to like two or three or four times a week. And I kind of miss it. But also, it's like you said, it's really cold outside. <laughs> it It'll get back. I keep telling myself that I will get back. I'll get more, more back on it in the spring. And I say that, and I know, and I, but I know that I will. Like I'm not just saying it; I really will get better. Gotcha. That's awesome. Uh, so, to that point, though, bro, it it this was an easy hat. This somehow became an easy habit for me. Uh, but how like how hard is it to actually change your habits? Whether it's exercising more often, whether it's eating differently. 
Yeah. Because you can't just do it for like, a, most people, they do their New Year's resolution, then a week later, they're like, Argh. Right. I tried. <laughs> Didn't work. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing is that there's so many, there's so many programs out there that are it's like a seven day fix, a 10 day fix, you know, a 10 day detox, 21 day fix. All of these things that are putting specific numbers on on habits that who knows how long that we have kept in our closets and have generated behavior behavior about. All I can say is that I know it is not 21 days. It is far more than 20 days. It is 21 days. It's more like three times that. So I found some research earlier this morning. It's more like 66 days, which, yeah, everyone's eyes open really wide. That's that's a that's a long time, um, you know, and and so. That's that's a solid two months of grinding away at something that you have possibly spent thirty years accumulating, you know, whatever bad habit that may be, or trying to form a new habit. Um, and so, I my advice is definitely like, don't give yourself a set parameter of time, um, and also don't hang yourself out to dry. Um, just because you made a bad choice sometime throughout the day, don't just go ahead and throw that day in the trash can and be like, oh, J.K., like I'll just start next Monday for whatever reason. Mondays, Mondays <laughs> in January one. <laughs> Are like those, yeah. It's, so what? Just because you, you know, had maybe had a donut uh, for a snack, um, doesn't mean that you can go absolutely nuts and crazy um, for dinner. Um, rein it in. Realize that every choice you make is should be a cognitive choice that you've actually made yourself, not because of a, a habit that you've continually formed. Since you said cognitive, I have to uh, to highlight a book that I've highlighted before, and that is a book by Judith Beck, who is a cognitive therapist and the daughter of Aaron Beck, really the father of cognitive therapy. And in her diet book, she talks about all these, I don't think she calls them lies, but interesting ways we think about food. One of them is, yeah, if I had that donut, then my diet's off and I can eat everything for the rest of the day. Another is, this is a tough one at the pool. This food is free, mm, so yes. I like, so I should be able to eat it. Right. Or I ordered this dish. So there's still food here. I can't waste that. I have to finish. I it. I have to eat it. So it's it's a fascinating book. I highly recommend it. Yeah, and it's true. I mean, CBT cognitive behavior therapy. Like it's proven that the more we can continue to try and be introspective and look at the way we're making decisions, or actually not making decisions because of patterns of behavior, the more we can be more cognizant about how we're making decisions, the more we can hopefully make better decisions in the future. So, yeah. All right. So what is your best piece of advice here for people to help them get healthier and wealthier in 2018? <sighs> that's, that's a good question. I know that we always you know, pinpoint one kind of thing every time that, uh, that I'm on the podcast, but I believe in 2016, we kind of uh, mentioned having a buddy, um, working out with an exercise partner, having an accountability buddy. Accountability buddy. Yeah. Shout out to Mona. Um, and then I think in 2017, we talked about SMART goals, um, being specific, measurable, um, mm-hmm. and having a short and long-term goals. Um, but I think this year, in, in 2018, I think we really need to cut ourselves a break. Stop putting all of these extra things on your plate. Stop putting all of these ridiculous timelines on everything. Just start making healthier decisions. Um, The more that we increase our everyday stress, the more that our hormones, specifically leptin and ghrelin, uh, will be out of whack. Um, And that is going to increase the chance of us gaining weight and increase obesity. So stop stressing yourselves out, myself included. I, I can I can really have a high bar for myself sometimes, and I've got to recognize that. Like, and then I'll I'll also un- unintentionally have that high bar set for other people, but just not tell them. That's a really <laughs> bad thing to do. <laughs> um, and so, like, I need to recognize, you know, patterns of my behavior, um, and just realize that, like, yeah, today's a new day. 
I can make some really solid choices today. Um, if I make one bad choice, that's all right. I'm making a bunch of other solid choices. So don't don't hang yourself out to dry, fools. <laughs> Be kind to yourselves. Rick, what's the closest you've ever come to being healthy? I was always very healthy. Yeah, he looks good. You're, you a good, look good. Lo- you're a good looking man. You don't man. look unhealthy. <laughs> Thanks. You don't look unhealthy. Uh, it always came very naturally. I was just naturally healthy, so I never had to work at it, which kind of sucks now because I have no habits of working at it. Right? Well, that's the whole thing about how the most common ages for people running marathons is if a nine is at the end of their age. So, like 39, 49, 50. Really? I don't yeah. Have that problem anymore. What? I don't have that problem anymore. You just turn, did you just turn AARP? I haven't gotten the envelope yet. No, it's coming. <laughs> Winter is coming, Rick. Winter is here. Aww. Yeah, well, what, what did work for you so far the best? Anything that distracts me from the fact that I'm exercising. So competition, nah. fun, no? Not fun. competition. Mainly fun, fun. Fun distraction. You know, playing games. If there's a game involved and I'm having a good time, I'm happy to exercise. I don't dislike exercise. I just don't like exercise for the sake of exercise. And you just can't make me do it. I'm a questioner and a rebel. He's a rebel. He's Going yeah. back to our the four I'm tendencies. Rebel, I was about to exercise until you started this podcast. Now I'm not going to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, each of us, I think, has a recommendation, our, our 2018 quick recommendation to help people exercise a bit more in 2018. My recommendation is my same recommendation as last year. I'm sorry. Yeah, but it's, it's, a, but it's a good one. It's a really good okay, one. Okay. Thank you. Uh, it's the app Swerkit, S W O R K I. IT. I think you recommended it in the past, Sam, I did. and I jumped on it. And so basically, Swerka is an app where uh, you tell it what kind of workout you want to do and how many minutes you've got to do it. And then this woman in a lovely British voice tells you to get ready. <laughs> and she, and then you see these little videos of what the actual exercise is. So it's like 30 seconds of um, lunges. And then, and it's uh, really, yeah. You can do it any, it's convenient. You can do it anywhere. Exactly. You can do it if it's just stretching or if you just want to do yoga or if you want to do something more high intensity, you can, you can tell it that. And then at the end, it says, Congratulations, you burned X amount of calories. And it makes you kind of feel good. So I recommend Swerk It. It's free, I think. It is free. There's a free and a paid version. Yeah. So. That's my recommendation. Bro, what do you got? So I'm a big fan of working in spurts, but also doing some exercise throughout the day. So I have a timer on my computer whenever I'm going to be writing an article or doing research. 25 minutes, and I can't do anything but work for the 25 minutes. Once that's up, then I go do something. And it, it often something like push-ups, sit-ups, some posture exercises. That's another thing I'm going to try to work on this I'm year. I work on my posture, too. Um, you know, lunges. Anything like that, walking up and down the stairs. So I'm doing a little bit of exercise throughout the day, just in little five-minute bursts. Wait, what program do you use for that? Uh, it, it's tomato-timer.com. And this is, a, this is actually a time management theory called Pomodoro, which I think it's Pomodoro, which is Italian for tomato. I don't know where the tomato comes from, but basically recommends that you focus in spurts, but then give yourself a five ten, to ten-minute break. Oh, so you just go to the website, and then you say, it's 25 minutes starting yep. now. Start, and then you just work. You can't get coffee. You can't go to the bathroom. You, if something else jumps into your mind, like, oh, I got this other thing to work on, you write it down on a piece of paper, but then you don't get distracted. I love that. You focus. No Facebook, no Twitter, nothing until you've done work for 25 minutes. I love it. I'm a huge fan of encouraging everyone to take breaks. Yeah. And I'm a big proponent of getting fresh air during that break. So I, I step outside. 
That's good. Yeah, that's a big one. When it's nicer out, you take the walk. Take the walk to the, yeah. the graveyard. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Come mm-hmm. back. Yeah. There's a nice graveyard around here to walk around. <laughs> that's a good incentive too. Yes. <laughs> right. You'd be like, oh yeah, that's in my future. <laughs> uh, Estate planning. That's important. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. And what do you have for us today, Sam? Um, well, I kind of brought one of my current favorite things. It's like an Oprah moment here. It is. It's a Sam moment. Uh, it's it's what is called banana milk and is made by a company called Muwala. Um, it is dairy-free, nut-free. Uh, there's basically water, organic banana puree, uh, organic roasted sunflower seeds, sea salt, and cinnamon. Um, so it's super healthy, uh, low-carb, and super tasty. Cheers. Cheers. Here we go. All right, Cheers. We each have a cup. Here we go. Okay, here we go. Good. It's more. It's not as sweet as I thought it would be, and it's no. much nuttier than I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's not very thick. I thought when you said bananas, no. it was going to be almost like a smoothie, but no, it's, no, it's, it's a milk. Yeah, I mean, it, kind of how almond milk almost has a little bit of texture to it, and it's a little bit thicker, obviously, than like two percent or something. Um, it's kind of has that consistency, yeah. but it's bananas so f- and sunflower. or I think it can work for me. Milk is all about cereal. I could yeah. see myself using this in absolutely. Cereal. I'm I'm using it right now as um, I'm not eating sugar or drinking wine or doing gluten. Um, it's a miserable January. That's what I call it. <laughs> um, but you'll get used but you to it. You need something in your hand, right? You need yeah. to sub in something. So, so and I'm doing it. a lot of water, obviously, and a lot of a lot of uh, caffeine-free tea. But in the evening, if I get a sugar craving and I don't have any fresh fruit. I will just grab Muala. a glass of Muwala. There we go. Yeah. And they didn't pay us any money no, for this. No, I went to Wegmans last night before before I had to call it quits for the night and uh, got us some Muwala. Cheers. I like Boom. It. Thank you. Cheers. Yeah. Sam, thank you for joining <laughs> Absolutely. us. Absolutely. And we'll see you again next year, I hope if so. not sooner. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> A few postcards came in. Really? So it's our Where in the World is Carmen San 50 Billion Cent. Uh, he's in the UK. <laughs> no, wait, now he's in Boston. So he sent in a couple of postcards. Also, Anthony and Susanna sent a card from the Gualala. I meant to really like nail it, but I didn't. The Gualala River in Northern California. It's beautiful up there. I also want to thank people who um, gave in to my request for leaving reviews on iTunes. Uh, before the year ended, I asked for the Christmas present of leaving us reviews, and people did. Like GW203, Marzalam791, Kelly, Kella Dryrose. These are all, I don't think they're their real names. Uh, Tall Guy 79, J.A. Hanks, <laughs> Mike from New Paltz, which is a lovely town. Our car once broke down in New Paltz. Um, thank you for saying uh, such lovely things about us and taking the time out to do it. And also, Janet Kay left us a review on Stitcher. Nice. I don't know what other Android platforms to look for, but I went there. And so, everyone, thank you so much for the kind reviews. And again, thank you for all the lovely postcards that continue to come in, even though it's so cold outside. All right. That's the show. It's edited uh, birthdayingly by Rick Engdahl. Although maybe I should have said hungoverly. <laughs> <laughs> by Rick Engdahl. For Robert Brokamp, I'm Allison Southwick. Stay foolish, everybody. <laughs>